This is the Men of Strength Podcast. The Men of Strength Podcast is presented by Elite FTS, helping the strong become stronger since 1998. Visit them online at EliteFTS.com. Now, here's your host, Don Day. Hey, everyone. This is episode three of Men of Strength Sports Performance Podcast. Today, I have Dr. Brandon Harris with me. He's a Georgia Southern man. He works here with our football team, and he works in the sports psychology department. He's kind of had an interesting journey. He's been a little bit of everywhere. I'll let you uh, get to it and uh, him explain everything that he's done and where he's been and all that good stuff. How you doing, Dr. Harris? Doing great. It's a pleasure to be here, Coach. Now, the first thing I, I kind of want to ask you is, you know, for the people out there that don't know you, kind of explain a bit about yourself, your journey, and, and actually what got you into sports psychology. So I'm originally from the Midwest. I'm a St. Louis guy um, and grew up playing all the different kinds of sports. And, and this was during a time when sport and exercise psychology was in existence, but nobody really knew that you could make a living you know, doing this kind of work. And I was one of those individuals. And so I think my um, where I felt most at home in terms of being an athlete was as a uh, martial artist, which a lot of people don't know. I did not know that. And I, and I don't share that because I'm always afraid someone's going to challenge me to see if I'm like, <laughs> if that's true or not. Then you're going to have to break someone's arm. And I'm not, yeah, I don't have that kind of liability insurance. So. <laughs> um, but that was my first exposure at a young age to the idea of the mind and the body kind of being connected in terms of athletic performance and in a number of other ways too. So that's what kind of piqued my curiosity didn't really think a whole lot about that um, as a young teenager at the time. And then when I kind of progressed through um, sport at different competitive levels, I started to notice that, you know, how I feel mm. and how I think uh, to some degree um, is, is having an impact on my experience and, and my performance. And so when I got to college, I, I was actually a uh, visual communications major. I wanted to be a graphic artist. No and, way. Yeah. So I made the very natural uh, shift from that to sports psychology. Um, <laughs> uh, but I got my first uh, schedule um, even before I entered uh, my first semester on college or in college, and I saw what classes I was taking. I said, "No way, this is not for me." So okay. I actually changed my major for the first time before I even started, you know, college. And then uh, when I got there, I got put in touch with someone who actually had a background in sports psych, and uh, they kind of helped me out and took me under their wing and. Uh, from there, just uh, started really getting into kinesiology and sports science and then also psychology and then uh, went straight from my undergraduate program to my uh, PhD program okay. at West Virginia University and uh, spent five years there kind of training and uh, learning how to, to do the kinds of you know consulting that I do and teaching and, and do some research as well and uh, the rest is history. That's awesome. That's awesome. What, what brought you from West Virginia to Georgia Southern? What made you become a Georgia Southern man? It, so I had a, a pit stop along the way at Kansas State, um, which was a great experience. And I said, you know, I don't think I would ever leave Kansas State because it was close to home mm -hmm. um, and I enjoyed my job. I said, it takes something really special for me to leave what was a pretty good work environment. And uh, a position opened up here in, in my field. Um, we have a graduate program at Georgia Southern in sport and exercise psychology, and it's extremely well known. And so when I saw the position uh, announcement come out, I said, well, wow, this is going to be a pretty competitive uh, uh, 
you know, search. And I said, well, if I don't apply, I already know what the answer is. Right. And so I said, I might as well put my name in the hat and see uh, what happens. Because this was one of those opportunities that I said, okay, it's one of the special ones that uh, if it came out, um, I, I, would, I would give it a shot. And I did. It worked out. So I came here specifically for... Uh, the work that I'm doing mm. um, in the Midwest, not too many people necessarily at the time knew about George Southern because it is located in you know it's a regional uh, university. People know about George Southern now, yeah. Uh, and so it's been an exciting journey for me, and uh, this is my eighth year here, and I have no uh, desire or intentions to to be anywhere else. So um, so it was literally the the work that I'm doing, um, the students I get to work with, the student athletes that I have the privilege to to be with uh, the coaching staff, you know, that's that's been what brought me here and what's kept me here. That's awesome. Georgia Southern's a special place, isn't it? It most certainly is. It most certainly is. And uh, I think a lot of people have some sense of that, but when you actually get down here and you experience it, it's uh, I think that's what keeps people here. That's When I was driving out here, I remember driving down from Buffalo and uh, I was on the highway and, you know, I was on uh, Peach Drive or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I, when I turned on to Peach Drive and I started making the way into town, I was like, man, where am I at? What is this place? And then I get here and, and the culture kind of like sucks you up into it. Like it's, it's very interesting culture and all the stuff of Irk Russell and getting in Eagle Creek and all that stuff. It just, it's special. The traditions that you hear a lot of the coaches and the athletes talk about um, are, are really unique. And it's not until you have a chance to kind of really the privilege to to see what that's all about firsthand um i think it's really it is something really really special it's it's very interesting stuff so what all does your job entail like what what do you do on a day-to-day month-to-month basis well it starts early in the morning uh for me as it does i think for for most folks around here and it's actually one of the things that is most exciting um in terms of the work i do is that uh, i'm involved in a lot of different things so my primary responsibilities are actually to run the graduate program that we have okay so i teach usually three classes a semester in sport and exercise psychology oversee a lot of the practical work that our students are doing um do a, a good amount of research um as well as a part of my academic um you know responsibilities and then this year certainly some of the consulting opportunities have picked up a little bit and so we have our graduate students involved in that process and they're supervised uh, there's two of us in, in the program faculty that that help out with that um, but people have really I think bought into this idea of like mental training and so while our students come here because they want to learn how to do that and that's mm-hmm. part of what our graduate program is really about is to train competent uh, ethical uh, and responsible practitioners to provide a number of different types of support to uh, coaches and um, administrators and student athletes who are uh, really in many ways no different than, than anyone else on campus and you know oftentimes encounter similar types of stressors but in a very different context or different environment um, so a lot of my time is spent um, working in that context and then uh, certainly a, a good amount of my time is now spent uh, providing more mental skills, you know, consultations and services to, to the student athletes here and coaches as well. So it's been a tremendous privilege in that sense. So no two days are the same mm-hmm. and, and that I really enjoy. Um, so uh, with the recent lottery uh, that was, I don't know, it was one point something yeah. million dollars. So, so somebody asked me, a colleague asked me, you know, had you won that? I, didn't, I don't even play that, the lottery, but I said, had you won that, would you have come into work the next day? And without hesitation, I said, absolutely. I mean, there's not a chance. I mean, I, there's not a chance uh, that, that something like that would have kept me from 
from coming back the very next day. So I truly do love what I do, and it's a it's been like I said a privilege and a blessing to be able to to be here and um, you know really make the kinds of relationships and connections that uh, that we have. Well, that's a no-brainer. If you win the lottery, you have to come in the next day because you have to grab your books and your yeah, pictures that's true. and all that. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So you I can't just leave those things. You what do you got to do? I, I, but the thing is, I don't keep boxes on handy or uh, just laying around in case something like that happens. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not prepared for that. So I, I have no desire to, to go anywhere. That's that's very interesting what you say about like the coaches and everything. I think of sports psychology or maybe a misconception I had was that it was just helping with athletes mm-hmm. and the performance like I think about LeBron James and when he was struggling and seeing a sports psychologist or Kevin Love so that's it's kind of a misconception I didn't know you helped like everyone absolutely well if you think about it um, although we are in a position to spend a good amount of time around the team as a whole uh, the coaches and the staff you know yourself included are really the ones that are at the forefront there. Athletic trainers, you know, sports medicine uh, professionals, they're the ones that oftentimes are around the the athletes more frequently, you know, on a day-to-day basis and sometimes throughout the day. So uh, when you think about the folks that are, are truly connected to to their athletes or student-athletes, a lot of times it's, it's the staff. Mm-hmm. And we all experience stress. We all experience a number of different challenges, not just on the playing field, but off the playing field too. And so I think, you know, to take a more holistic approach to the work that we do is really, really important. And, and if we can help provide support to uh, coaches and administrators to help them be a better version of themselves so that they can do their jobs, you know, um, and enjoy that, you know, in the process, uh, I think that's right up our alley, you know, as well. And I think when they're at their best, it makes it easier and more effective for them to help their, you know, student athletes be at their best too. That's very interesting. So. What, what other kind of common misconceptions do you either hear or maybe you thought before getting into it that, that people have with sports psychology? Probably the uh, most common one, uh, and this does irritate me quite a bit because uh, <laughs> it's been going on for forever, really has to do with um, not just so much what we do, but also who is it for. Mm-hmm. And so you hear a lot about you know mental skills training and sports psychology is really meant for uh, what they say, like problem athletes, head cases, okay. and the reality is, is that that is absolutely not true. Now, it can be helpful, you know, for individuals that are experiencing some type of struggle or, or concern. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but what we really know from research and then also from anecdotal evidence is that uh, this is for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, someone with an open mind that, that really wants to be the best version of who they are. They don't have to be going through, you know, challenges or, or struggles, you know, specific concerns or they're not head cases. You know, that, that's a, a terrible stigma that I think gets placed on our what we do and also people who seek out those services. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, we are most effective when things are going great. In other words, it's much more proactive that way. So if we can work on things that are important to coaches and things that are important to student athletes uh, before you know what hits the fan yeah when that happens they're prepared and they're ready to go and so we talk a lot about adversity um and it's much more i think effective to manage challenges and adversity if we already have a plan put together Mm -hmm. you know ahead of time so that way when that does happen we're not taken by by surprise so oftentimes the best time to do this kind of work is really when things are going great because Mm -hmm. We want to maintain that and, and a big part of uh, sport performance and really performance in a number of different areas is learning how to manage 
things that are sometimes uh, unpredictable mm. um, and do the best that you can to control the things that are controllable in situations where sometimes we have a tendency to focus on things that we can't necessarily control. Mm. And so, so those are some of the, the misperceptions that I have come across. And, and we do our best to try and clarify that. And I think with time and, and commitment and dedication that people start to realize, you know what, this is not... Uh, it's not weird. It's not magic. It's not you know. It's, you know <laughs> not voodoo. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not putting uh, using hypnosis to put people to sleep or levitating or anything you know anything mm-hmm. like that. So it, it really is um, as much a part of training as strength and conditioning and any other you know um, training associated with like the physical skills you know with sport. The mental piece. I think most people are now recognize. You know, that's pretty important. So you can have all the physical talent in the world, but if you can't unlock that and bring that with you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on game day, that, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a deficiency there. Yeah, like the the, the kind of like the uh, guy that gets the jitters, or the golfer that gets the jitters, or something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So we want to help them learn how to manage themselves, mm-hmm. so that those types of uh, scenarios don't keep them from you know bringing that best version of who they are. You know, when they want to be there, essentially. Now, you talked a little bit about helping prepare the coaches so that when adversity hits, they already have a plan. How do you think that sports psychology field kind of integrates with the sports performance strength and conditioning field? Or how would you see that in a a perfect world? I think we're part of the same team. Mm -hmm. I think that um, we all focus on trying to help student athletes or performers in general, like I said before, be the best versions of who they are. So we are not uh, unidimensional beings. So certainly there is a, uh, a great deal of importance placed on the physical, you know, components of sport participation, but we also know that there's a, you know, a, a mental piece to that too. So I try to look at it as very much like a collaborative kind of team effort where we all bring, you know, what we're experts in and that includes coaches and student athletes. I tell, uh, I tell them all the time, nobody knows them better than they know themselves. Mm-hmm. So my job is not here, uh, I'm not here to tell people what to do. I don't know them better than they know themselves. I certainly do the best I can to um, learn as much as I can and, and whatever they choose to share, you know, is, is a privilege to be, you know, a part of. Um, uh, but they know what they do best. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're all on the same, we're, we're part of the same team. And what we do is we train different parts of what we know is important to, uh, you know, elite sport performance. And mm-hmm. so it's one is not more important than the other in terms of, of at least my perception. We just uh, address different components of what we know, you know, impacts, uh, uh, you know, elite sport performance, mm-hmm. different perspectives, but all working towards the same goal, helping, you know, individuals be the best versions of, of who they are. I like that a lot. Now, you talked about anything the athlete shares is like a privilege. How do you get an athlete that comes to you and might be a little hesitant to open up that, but you know he needs your help, or he's seeking your help, so obviously sure. he needs your help. How do you get he or she? Mm-hmm. How do you get them to kind of open up or feel more comfortable about talking? Like, what are the kind of things you do? Well, it, this is a, this might be a huge letdown. There's no uh, secret to that except, um, I think, being authentic mm-hmm. and uh, time. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, taking the time to get to know uh, people is critical and building relationships I think is so important to the work that we do and not just in sports psychology but also strength and conditioning and, and coaching and, and really you know a lot of professions where we are providing some type of like help we're a helping professional mm-hmm. uh, I have no expectations um, that someone's gonna walk through my door sit down and 
just share every you know every intimate you know part of their uh, you know personal or or sport related experience. And so I think a big piece of it is just is taking some time to really get to know one another um, and, and really working on building that rapport and, and making sure that over time they start to understand that uh, you know we truly are I truly am invested in their well being. Um, I don't get paid to do that, mm-hmm. so uh, my job is on the academic side of, mm-hmm. of things. So I'm, in terms of the consulting work, I do it because I truly love doing it, and it's something that um, I feel like is important to be able to give back to the university, which has given so much to me in terms mm-hmm. of just the opportunity to, to do what I do uh, you know, uh, each and every day. So. Uh, so I truly am there for for them, mm-hmm. you know, for them, and so taking the time to, I think, like I said, get to get to know the uh, the individuals that that come through, um, because these are things that are really important to them, and if it's important to them, then it's important to me, and so um, I think you have to. A mentor of mine used to say, "You have two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you talk." <laughs> so a big part of it is just being there and listening, yeah. um, and, and trying to um, understand their story. And I'll never truly understand it because I'm not them. Mm-hmm. I never try to pretend to. But giving them an opportunity and a safe place to, you know, kind of be who they are, um, share the things that are important to them that they want to share. And there's, there's no, you know, whatever they're comfortable with is, is perfectly fine. Um, and, and not being judgmental about that. You know, we all have our own stories, and uh, one is not uh, better or worse than the other. Mm-hmm. We are who we are. And, and so I think it's just that kind of non-judgmental um, open-mindedness. Uh, can go a long way. The other thing that um, you'll sometimes see is uh, we're at practice a lot. You're right. And, and yeah, so, I always see you out there. And just being around and, and letting you know folks know that hey, we're here because we care um, and and we're interested in learning as much as we can about what this might be like for you mm-hmm. on a day to day basis. Because a lot of folks that are um, huge supporters of our athletic programs. <laughs> oftentimes only see kind of that game day product right and, and they're very appreciative of it and they, we've got wonderful fans in uh, in statesboro um it's not like that anywhere else that i've right. um and, and so but we i also recognize that they only see kind of a small piece of, of what goes on in the student athletes and the coaches you know day-to-day world and so being there at practice i think gives you an appreciation and a better understanding for what is this experience really like for for that person? Because it's not just on Saturdays that uh, you know that they're doing that kind of work. It's it's each and every day. Right. Um, so so that's another way that we we go about trying to kind of communicate. You know, hey, we're here to to support you if and when you, you decide you might want to take advantage of that. I like that a lot. Like you know what you were saying, they only see the athlete on game day, so they might know. Uh, for example, someone might know Don Day on Saturday as Don Day, the get back guy, but they don't know <laughs> they don't know the anything behind it. So Absolutely. it's kind of like a very shallow face value kind of thing. Not you know not maliciously, just Absolutely. how it is. Absolutely, and there's so much more to you as a coach than you know those three hours you know during during game day, and that's the privilege part that mm-hmm. I was talking about before. Is like all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes is. Uh, really what leads to like game day mm-hmm. you know and that's the stuff that really makes a, a huge difference because you spend much more time training and practicing than you actually do competing if you think about oh, it yeah. so that's the part that uh, i think oftentimes goes unnoticed and and, and, and like, like like you said it's it's no one's fault it's not malicious that's the nature of uh competitive um you know sports so so that piece is really important mm-hmm. Now, how do you think we as coaches can help athletes that are struggling from a mental standpoint? Like, what things 
do you kind of in general or have you done in the past to help a coach that's trying to help his athlete? His or her athlete? Sure. I think there's a number of different things we can do. Um, certainly having coaches that are open-minded to the idea of sport being more than just what one does physically mm-hmm. is really important. So a lot of what I do sometimes, especially early on, is just kind of educating people and helping them understand, you know, not just what you know, mental training is and and how it can, you know, help in terms of performance. Uh, but like I said before, coaches are oftentimes the ones that are going to be around, you know, student athletes the, the most. And so once they have an accurate idea as to what this is and how it can be helpful, sometimes what we'll do is we'll actually operate by uh, from this what we call like a train the trainer model. Mm-hmm. So there might be times when you know I'm I'm working with coaches to help them do the kinds of things you know day in and day out that that I also do mm-hmm. um, because they're the ones that are around more frequently. And so if we're all on the same wavelength when I'm doing my work. Uh, and coaches are kind of reiterating the same kinds of principles and things that we talk about, I think that it demonstrates that we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, we're communicating the same, you know, um, concepts and things that we know are important uh, that we value to student-athletes. And so uh, so we educate coaches, and then we can also, you know, teach them uh, how to utilize some of the mental skills that, that I might directly, you know, implement with athletes because, like I said, coaches are around a lot more sometimes than we're able to be, and uh, they might be in a great position to to kind of help either reinforce or just, you know, uh, make sure that, that student-athletes are taking time to focus on the mental, you know, part of, of, uh, of their performance. Mm-hmm. Now, you were talking about, you know, we're, we're kind of a helping service, mm-hmm. right? At, at what point does that service, and you're talking about time and patience, and this is the only way I can can kind of ask this question, Goodwill Hunting, right? The movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So at the very beginning with Robin Williams and uh, Goodwill, whatever his name is, I forget the, the actor's name. Uh, I can't even remember. Matt Damon? Matt Damon, yeah. right? So... My question kind of is, at what point do you end the helper? When do you know to end the helper? When do you know to sit and be patient? Like, if you were in a Goodwill hunting situation, at the very beginning, it's like, oh, man, the movie could, could only be 20 minutes long. That's like, right. It just ended right there. But he stayed in it. When do you kind of – how do you balance that? Or how do you know, okay, I can, I can help this guy out, or maybe this guy has something that's going on that I need to dig deeper into? You know, I think that a lot of these things are, are it can't be forced. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I try to communicate is, listen, when you're ready, mm-hmm. if you, you know, are ready, I'm on board mm-hmm. and I'm there. And, and you know, you know, you know how to get a hold of me and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, and so I think you have to be patient and you have to let individuals kind of work um you know, on their own time, so to speak, because we all kind of move at different paces when it comes to, I think, really anything. But when, you know, certainly with mental training, um, not everyone's going to be ready to, to dive right in, you know, immediately. So I think patience is certainly going to be an important piece of that. Um, I always try to communicate that I'm that I'm available and I'm here, mm-hmm. um, and but I will never force that mm-hmm. um, because one of the things that I've learned over time is that if an individual is not ready or, or interested, then it's not going to be a, a good use of their time. Mm-hmm. And so we just try to maintain some sense of I guess consistency in terms of reiterating that hey, you know things change or if and when you you're ready. Uh, let me know, you know, and then that's fine. So that you know, I, you try to, I guess, 
communicate this kind of unconditional positive um, regard for other individuals and that there's no judgment if, if it's something that you, you don't buy into that you're not interested in but sometimes people come around and they realize you know okay maybe there is something to this mm -hmm. and uh and, and when if and when that happens we're, we're ready to go and so if they're on board i'm on board mm -hmm. and, and i think I don't like the idea of giving up on people. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I also don't force the issue because mm -hmm. I don't think that, that that typically doesn't work very well. It has to kind of be on their, their own time. Um, and there's different things that may lead to somebody taking that next step and seeking out those services. Uh, and, and when that happens, we just want to make sure that uh, we have the resources in place to support them. So not, like you said, not giving up because you're leaving the door open, mm -hmm. but you're not forcing it either. Absolutely. Absolutely. So from my perspective, from my point of view as a strength coach, if a guy comes in and he has a bad day or he's just being different like, hey man, like what's going on? Mm -hmm. Well, my door's open. If you need to talk, let's, let's keep working. Yeah, absolutely. You're there. And, and they know that you're there. And sometimes that's enough. Mm -hmm. You know, they know that, okay, I do have this support and I do have these resources and when they're ready to seek those out, I think in those kinds of situations, my, my thought is usually, I want to make sure they know how to, mm -hmm. to seek those out or where to go, you know, for that, um, for that support, you know, when they are ready. Now what, when athletes seek you out, and this is just a general mm -hmm. thing, what do you usually find is the areas, the problem areas that they usually seek you out for? Every person is so different. Um, and I think that's such an important thing to keep in mind is that, you know, even two athletes that maybe are experiencing a similar, let's say, event mm -hmm. in terms of competition mm -hmm. can very easily respond to that event in two very different ways. It's the same thing with injury, too. You can have two athletes that have had the same injury, it's a, you know, a, a torn ACL. How they respond to that injury, not just in terms of rehab, but kind of emotionally, mm -hmm. uh, might be very different from one another. Even though the injury or that mechanism is the same, what's different are the, are the people. And so I think a big piece of, of what I do has to do with, you know, really like we were talking about before, getting to know that individual because what is important to him or her may be very different than what is important to like the next person that, that comes, you know, comes through. And so we have to make sure that we do a good job, I think. Um, getting a sense of, of what this person's experience is, is like. And so no two, no two athletes or student athletes are ever going to be the same. You know, we do see, or I do see a lot of, um, you know, anxiety, mm. nerves. I think that's pretty, pretty common. And, you know, one of the things I try to remind folks about that is uh, you don't typically get nervous about stuff that's not important to you. Mm -hmm. and, and so it, to some degree, being nervous, or I sometimes refer to it as, as being kind of activated. Okay. And we all have kind of our own zone where, if we're too activated and we're kind of beyond, you know, we're in the upper end of that or outside of that zone, that's when the anxiety and nerves can kind of get the best of us. But we can also be the opposite where you're kind of underactivated. And sometimes I'll see that as well. And they need, those are the folks that need to find some way to get kind of hyped up, so to speak. Um, but we all have this kind of zone or range where we want to be in terms of our activation level. And so I see, you know, a fair number of um, situations where, you know, some folks may have a difficult time trying to either figure out what that zone is or how to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so uh, when they are there, that doesn't mean that they're not nervous or they don't feel any butterflies at all. It means that they don't panic um, and that they recognize that, okay, you know, I, I am a little bit, you know, nervous and 
probably because what I'm getting ready to do is really important to me. It's really the the individual that feels nothing. That's the one that kind of intrigues me because yeah. you want there to be some passion or something there. And sometimes those butterflies are a good indication that, uh, okay, I still really care about what it is that I'm doing. But if I'm getting ready to compete and I don't feel anything, I'm not just talking about nerves, but like excitement, no, you know, nothing. No joy from Exactly, it. exactly. Uh, that, that's That's a different kind of scenario. Uh, so, so we do see some, you know, anxiety or kind of activation, you know, related uh, um, scenarios, motivation, you know, a lot of, uh, as, as you know, a lot of uh, seasons are, are long. Yes. Um, they're, they're, they can be, you know, there's a grind to that. And there's a lot of, I think, repetition and, and in some cases redundancy. So finding ways to, like you just said, uh, to maintain that passion for what it is that you're doing, because that can very easily be overshadowed by fatigue and um, you know the 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 grueling seasons um, that a lot of you know student athletes and coaches encounter on a year to year basis. Uh, we got to find ways to keep things fun and help them kind of return to those those roots and, and the things that really you know get them going. Mm-hmm. You know as well. But that's the cool thing about the job is that everyone's a little bit different. Right. Um, and so it could just be managing pressure, managing you know uh, anxiety, very similar to, to pressure. Uh, you know that kind of stuff. It can be time management. Uh, you know, student athletes are really the only, uh, at least in the collegiate setting, uh, and even in high school too, only only group on campus that's referred to in a hyphenated way. You don't hear student band member right. or student, you know, um, you know, club athlete or, yeah. or something along those lines. So the the name that we oftentimes refer to these individuals as, you know points directly at the fact that they have two very, very important uh, parts of who they are mm-hmm. in terms of the athlete and the student and all the responsibilities that, that come with each. And that's not always easy to balance. And so that's another piece to the, uh, the puzzle, too, is, is learning how to, to manage a number of different you know, uh, commitments and responsibilities in a way that they're not just getting by. You know, talk a lot about like just kind of surviving. Mm-hmm. We want them to thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, we want them not just to kind of get through it, but uh, to really like be the best version of who they are with the things that are important to them. With the the student athlete, like I think sometimes it kind of, and I've been really noticing as I, you know, the years have gone by and thinking about my own playing time and then my own career that student athlete kind of gets meshed and then mm-hmm. everything, the importance is all on athlete. Just like. You know, strength coach, you kind of just, instead of a person, you're just strength coach, mm-hmm. right? So they kind of like root their identity and their whole purpose into being an athlete or your whole purpose into being a strength coach so that when athletic career is over, and you see it all the time, when the athletic career is over, these guys are completely lost. Sure. So you see the guys, once they're done playing in the league, they go broke because they're trying to get that feeling of being in the league back. What what advice or how what's your take on that? How would you help someone in that situation? What advice would you give to them to help them separate that? Hey, man, you're not just not just a tennis player. You're right. not just a basketball player. Like you're a human. Like that's just a part of your life. There has to be something else. And, and that's a huge, I think, piece of of what we oftentimes find ourselves doing as well as is trying to help um, you know student athletes figure out you know when you're not competing and when you're not in this kind of athletic role, who are you? Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, what are the other things that in your life that are important to you? Mm-hmm. It could be other people, it could be other you know hobbies, other things that. Um, that they're involved in and so sometimes what we talk about is is what we call their athletic identity mm-hmm. so in other words like the i guess 
the degree to which they identify with their role as an athlete. And for, this is not going to be a huge surprise, but for a lot of college student athletes, that's going to be a, a significant percentage of, of maybe uh, how they see themselves. And, and that's fine. But it, the challenge becomes, like you just mentioned, is what happens when that part of who you are is no longer either there or maybe it looks a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So maybe we're moving now from competing to still wanting to stay in an athletic kind of, you know, environment, but maybe in a different capacity. Mm -hmm. And that might be more into like coaching, it could be sports psychology, mm -hmm. it could be a number of different, you know, professional opportunities that still keep you in an environment that you are very passionate about, but just in a very different, uh, different way mm -hmm. so I think it's really important to at least with the work that I do to look at these individuals as human beings right. not as simply unidimensional you know people that you're an athlete mm -hmm. and that's it uh, and so I think that holistic approach becomes really really important and you know depending on the on the individual you know, there's certainly a fair number of student athletes at the collegiate level that uh, have ambitions of going on to play professionally. And to be honest with you, uh, I have no business making any judgment about that mm. at all. That's first of all, that's not my area of expertise. And, mm. and even if it was, who am I to say that you will or will not do that? Right. right. You know. And so my my job, as I see it, or my my role in that process is to be as supportive as I possibly can. And if that's what they are, you know, uh, passionate about and what they want to do, I'm not the person that should be getting in the way of that. And if anything, I, you know, my role is to help support them, you know, uh, pursuing the things that are important to them. And then the question really is, well, for some reason, if that doesn't play out the way that maybe we had envisioned, what else do you see yourself, you know, doing? What else are you passionate about that may relate to sport? It might be something completely, you know, different. So... Uh, it, it's really thinking about okay, who else? Who am I when I'm not competing? Mm -hmm. You know, what are those other parts of my identity? Uh, we see that sometimes with injured athletes too, because right. they can no longer compete. You know, the way that they had maybe just thirty seconds ago pre-injury, right? right? Or right. another, uh, you know, post-surgery, they're going to be out for a while. That's a that can be a traumatic experience when you right. go from being able to to do everything, you know, on the field at one point to all of a sudden I can't do any of that. Mm -hmm. Well, that that can be really tough, and there's an adjustment period, but it's also an opportunity to maybe focus on some of the parts of who you are that you don't always get a chance to to address because there is so much going on, mm -hmm. you know, with sport and training and uh, that kind of thing. So we try to use those challenges as opportunities to develop and, and really invest in other parts of who they are that are important to them and that's not something I could I can decide for them or tell them what that is right that comes from from them and so it's just a matter of asking the question how do you see yourself and what are the things that are important to you outside of uh, outside of sport and kind of helping that lead to helping them you know when preparing them for when it's all over Absolutely. regardless if they're going to be pros or not you can still have those kind of conversations that get them thinking about what am I going to do when this is all over. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of the programs that we have on campus here, and I know other universities do this too, but like our Eagles in Transition uh, program, those kinds of programs are really important because regardless of what happens for that student athlete in terms of if they play professionally or not, they are being exposed to certain skill sets and things that we know are going to be important for them once they are done with their athletic career, whenever that might be. And it might be right after college or it might be after, you know, they if they do play professionally. So, Having them think a little bit ahead of time as opposed to, okay, well, 
college is over, I'm not competing anymore, what am I going to do? You know, that's more of a reactive approach, and I think we try to be more proactive about that. And that doesn't mean that we're telling them, you're not going to make it, so you better find something else that you can do. (laughs) It's a matter of, okay, you know, whenever this may be, when that time comes when you're no longer competing, either because you choose not to, or depending on, you know, what your, how your story unfolds, what is it that you, you know, want to do, you know, what's important to you? And, and can we talk about and learn certain skill sets that are going to be important regardless of when that, you know, whenever that time comes, those are things that you're going to want to have ready to go. I remember once I had an athlete a long time ago who had league or die <laughs> tatted on him. Yep. And I would always say, hey, man, well, you, you're going to have a plan B if you yeah. go to the league? Like, there has to be something else besides yeah. dying. Like, uh-huh. it can't be league or just die. Like, what, what about, like, league or yeah. go work at McDonald's, maybe? Anything. I hope there's something in between those two. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, there's there's got to be a continuum there. Yeah. Um, but it certainly does go to show, like, how important, you know, that is to a lot of a lot of individuals. And, and that's, you know, not to say that, you know, if things don't work out the way that uh, one either wants or expects them to, yeah, that could be that could be traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a difficult adjustment to make. Um, and so I, I completely recognize that. Um, no, it does not have to be that extreme. <laughs> and also, it can be something that is you know can be a difficult thing to, to cope with. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we're here is to help student athletes you know um, develop those coping resources for how to manage that. And then also like how do we you know move on to whatever that next step might be if it's not you know what we originally planned on. Now, do you think you know with your job? I don't want to say. Easier is not the right word, but do you think it, there's been more awareness raised now that athletes like Kevin Love have come forward and talked about his struggles and others come forward? LeBron, when he was in Miami, kind of talked about seeing a sports psychologist for his anxiety. Has that kind of raised more awareness or helped athletes come out more? Have you been seeing the changes in that? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's a very brave thing for anybody um, to kind of put themselves in this vulnerable position where they say, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm experiencing. And you know what? It's not something that I feel like I'm equipped to manage by myself. And mm-hmm. I maybe I've tried and I'm at a point where I'm not really sure what to do, you know, next. That's not an easy thing for anybody, you know, not just student athletes. I think for any individual to say, hey, uh, I, I could use a little bit of the, you know, support, you know, with this. So anytime you have people that are in high profile, I think positions that come out and say, look, this is, this is real. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helps break down that stigma that is associated with, there must be something wrong with you. If you're seeking out, you know, psychological or mental health services or mental skills training services as a part of like your sport performance. It's that, and that goes back to what I said before about the the stigma, of like for for the head case, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no such thing, um, and, and so having people that are willing to 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 be brave uh, and take that step and and say, look, this is what I've been going through, and you know it's okay, and, and you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I think that that can really uh, speak volumes to a lot of individuals who have probably also had you know similar experiences. Um, and and let them know or reinforce the idea that uh, while those are not easy all the time to, to manage, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes those types of experiences can be very isolating because you feel like you're the only one that's kind of going through that. And, and there's a number of different things. And sometimes they are a little bit more... Um, 
require a little bit more, I guess, uh, clinical attention. And sometimes it's they're non-clinical, uh, and it just you know relates to being a little nervous before I get out on the field. Yeah. Well, you know, for a long time people thought, well, if I share that or I, you know, people are aware of that, that that's a sign of weakness. No, if I actually see it as a sign of strength. It's it's someone who's like aware of, of how they are and, and how they work, and being able to say, look. You know, I want a little bit of additional support. So, you know, the same way, you know, elite athletes didn't uh, master their craft overnight. It's the same kind of thing with like mental training, too. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we can have the resources available, because more and more people are now becoming interested, like in this type of work, um, to help support them, whether it's with depression, anxiety, other mental health issues, and or, you know, uh, areas of interest that just really are more performance related. Uh, we want to make sure that they know how to access those resources and, and also recognize that there's there's nothing wrong with that. The same way there's nothing wrong with uh, you know talking to a strength and conditioning coach saying, look, I, I'd like to get a little bit more proficient and, and better in this area. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a I don't know too many people that would say, what's wrong with you? That's a good thing. If anything, yeah. like we we embrace that. Yeah. Like, that's fantastic. Thank you for like taking that step. And uh, yeah, let's let's get to work and and uh, you know take a closer look at the things that are important to you. So really try to reinforce that. So yes, I think it, it is getting a little bit more um, notoriety. Um, and I have a great deal of of respect and appreciation for those that on a national level and even you know if it's in a local community. Uh, that speak out about uh, the the role that mental skills you know plays in, in sport performance, and, and and we know that it can be a game changer. Mm-hmm. So you take two teams that uh, are relatively even in terms of physical ability; mm-hmm. these are the kinds of things you know the, the the mental aspect that can really separate those two is how they manage themselves in a number of different situations. Because if everything else is the same in terms of their their skills, uh, physical skills something's going to have to differentiate one from the other Mm -hmm. and oftentimes it's the mental aspect that ends up doing that now my last thing that that i want to ask you you're the perfect person to ask i asked on my first episode Mm -hmm. i asked uh david kitchen what mental toughness like was nowadays he he said a very like very good thing but i wanted to get from your side of things because obviously you'd be the guy you know sports psychology mental right sure what what is mental toughness to you and how how do you view this this macho uh hey we gotta beat you down and if you outlast that makes you tough like how well give me your uh kind of your two cents on that whole piece and what mental toughness is to you so and this is something that's been actually studied and and research in our field as well and there are ways to measure you know mental toughness i think it's it's difficult to measure Mm. um because it's difficult to define uh, to me, you know, mental toughness is, uh, I think, in one sense, being aware of, of, of who you are. Mm-hmm. You can't make changes, whatever they might be. You know, and usually, like, if it's something that we want to improve, well, we, we can't do that until we know where we are currently at. Mm-hmm. So I think to some degree, the idea of being mentally tough is... Um, you know, starts off with like really, as they say, know thyself. So mm-hmm. you really have to know, you know, who you are and what you bring to the table, um, and, and maybe some of the things that aren't, you know, necessarily strengths. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. When we we're, we're talking about like a, a team setting, every person has their own role, and and one is not more important than the other. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like, if you know who you are and what you bring, focus on that and bring that because people are depending on you the same way you're depending on others to bring, you know, what they what they do best. So I think 
mental toughness starts with somebody understanding and recognizing like who they are, being self-aware. And there's no doubt that um, another piece of that is being able to manage, uh, as I've said uh, before, being able to manage themselves before they try to manage the game. Mm. And, and so being mentally tough and being aware of, of who they are also, I think, includes having certain skill sets and being able to uh, to manage the adversity and, and things that are sometimes uncontrollable is being able to figure out, well, in this you know, scenario that I can't control that happened, what are the things that I can't control? And let's focus on that. And that's where the resiliency piece, I think, comes in. So, uh, you know, I definitely think, you know, we talk a lot in sport about adversity because it is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Perfect games are rarely played across different, you know, sports. And so having a plan and being prepared to, uh, number one, you know, manage yourself in times that are going to be a little bit more challenging um, and being able to bounce back from that, you know, quickly and effectively, I think is, is really, really important. Uh, and so those are some of the, I guess, the ways that I sometimes describe like being mentally tough is, is the ability to not only like know yourself, but also know how to manage yourself mm-hmm. um, in different situations. And, and don't, you know, we're not necessarily having to hit that panic button mm-hmm. uh, that we know that we can learn how to become a little bit more comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and rarely are we going to be, if it's football, we're not going to be comfortable for 60 minutes. There's going to be things right. that happen yeah. where we're going to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And it could be uh, it could be fatigue. It could be, you know, any number of things. But recognizing that those things don't have to be bigger than what we're capable of managing. Mm-hmm. Although they may feel or seem that way at the time, uh, that's not necessarily, more often than not, that's not the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes people don't necessarily know or don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And so they respond from more, like I said, that panic state. So uh, being able to manage yourself in, in those kinds of situations, I think, is, is really important as well. And, and also learning how to manage success. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, that's mental toughness too. Uh, it's not just adversity. It's also how do you manage when things are going well, mm-hmm. do we let that kind of get to our head or do we know how to stay the course and, and continue doing what we know we do best and, and not let those other distractions and accolades and things that certainly are nice um, that come from us doing our, you know, living in the moment um, and kind of like I say, you know, being where your feet are. Uh, those other things, you know, the scoreboard accolades will, will come, mm-hmm. but we have to focus on, on kind of the here and now, what we have control over, which is really only what's happening in this particular moment. And so that's a very long, I guess, answer to a short question in terms of mental toughness. But that's what I found um, over the years of doing this, how I, I, how I tend to, I guess, uh, define that. I like that. And thank you very much for being on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to come on here and I enjoy it. I learned a lot. I, actually, I learned a ton. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, maybe sometime down the road doing it again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you very Thanks, much. Guys, appreciate it. Guys, that was Dr. Harris joining us on uh, Men of Strength Sports Performance Podcast. I want to thank him for being on here. He's, he's a great role model. He's a great person and an awesome guy to spend time with. I'm very lucky that I have this opportunity to spend time with him. Guys, look us up on leadfts.com or on iTunes. Again, we've we've been hot on iTunes now because of Mr. Colin Lacey over here next to me on the left. Woo-woo! But, uh, <laughs> but guys, please keep on listening. Please, if, uh, please keep sharing. And uh, like I said, I'm just trying to make an impact and put out good information for people. I hope that uh, I'm doing that. Thanks, everyone, and see you again.